to Books and Beyond with your hosts, Karen and Louisa. Join us for half an hour of information, entertainment, reading recommendations, and beyond. Brought to you by Auckland Libraries. I know this girl, and she works in a library, yeah. Kia ora. As soon as I'm here today with Janet McAllister. Kia ora, Janet. Kia ora. And Tulia Thompson. Kia ora, Tulia. Kia ora. Janet is known to Aucklanders for her intelligent and intrepid journalism in the Herald, Metro, Pantograph Punch, of which she's also been the editor-in-chief, and elsewhere, arts reviews, social commentary, and, memorably, writing her way around all the libraries in Auckland without ever being snarky, even when making a joke about Orwa. Oh, <laughs> it was fun. I really enjoyed that project. It was great. We, we in libraries also enjoyed it. She's just given birth to a book called Life on Volcanoes. It's a collection of contemporary essays by five of her favorite writers, all women. Tulia is one of them. Tulia is a sociologist, poet, fiction writer, including a novel for children, a Fijian, Tongan, and Pakia descent, Joint winner, congratulations on this, of the 2018 Wallace Foundation Creative Nonfiction Writing Contest. Thanks. So, Janet, over to you. Life on Volcanoes. This book is such a gem. It's the design, the high-quality production, the pieces, in the sense of the essays, but also in the sense of, because to me, as I was reading it, it felt like meteorites, um, sort of pieces of planets thrown off as they whirled, five planets whirring in their orbits and colliding and throwing off pieces. So how does it feel to you to hold this book in your hand? Uh, it feels marvellous. It feels absolutely wonderful. I'm, I'm so excited about um, sharing my love of these writers and their, and their work um, with, with everybody. And I'm so pleased with what they've all come up with. It was um, I gave them carte blanche. And so um, uh, we'll hear from Tulia very shortly. And there's Ziming Mok, who's um, talked about Chinese influence in New Zealand. There's Courtney Cena Meredith, who talks about her struggles with chronic pain. Um, there's Ruth Lassen who talks about the um, trials and tribulations of being a parent and there's Tui Gordon who talks about um, how to be sex positive when you're in a relationship with somebody who has suffered abuse in the past. So they're all very different um, but give us peeks into different lives which is, is really exciting and the book as you've, thank you, um, said is um, really beautifully designed as I really wanted that as an homage to, to these writers um, and in, in my head I had um, uh, not as a literal format at all it's very different but in terms of people finding the book as an unexpected delight the way I found the Montana essay series um, in the early 2000s you know these beautiful books and they, they had, and they really did justice I think to the words and I think that's what we've done here yeah was that Sally Greer that did this wonderful design at Beatnik Publishing correct yeah, yeah so Beatnik director Sally Greer um, has um, let me have color on every page and yeah. showed me how to do that so there's a little pop of color um, and um, she's she's done this beautiful um, uh, kind of uh, volcano motif um, and obviously that's, that is partially inspired by Tamaki Makoto our, our um, 55 volcanoes 60 volcanoes but also by um, the idea that life uh, can be full of these 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 trials and tribulations that, that feel like volcanoes, they might be exploding or they might be dormant and green but, but we're kind of going up and down on these hills and I think um, that kind of encompassed a lot of the different um, subjects that the writers were able to write about and it's a really varied kind of collection and um but they've all got this this 
theme. Yeah. yeah, that really speaks to me about the volcanoes. Um, I used to live in Italy, and I had a friend who had a, who lived on the island of Stromboli, which is a volcano. You basically live on a volcano. And he used to always say that there's something in the atmosphere of volcanoes because of the gases that are constantly coming up from them that are like uh, the electrons are charged in a special way. And it's, it really feels like that. Um, but there's something more about this. Tell me about what this endeavor represents going back. Sure. So um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's dedicated to my mum, my um, Heather Joy McAllister. I think Joy, she was very well um, named, um, who died a couple of years ago. So I've used some of my legacy to actually commission this book. Um, and she was um, somebody who really um, loved the world of ideas and, and loved, um, got really excited by seeing different ways of approaching life and different ways of seeing the world. And um, so I had, that that was really the impetus for, for being able to do this. And um, and I think, yeah, she, she would have enjoyed the book. Yeah, absolutely. That is, um, I'm choking up. <laughs> <laughs> she I also think. lived in a volcano. So oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you on say three that. things, yeah, yeah. Yeah, one volcano plus three more that she could see she could from see. her house. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's absolutely, it's a lovely image. Um, so, Tulia, so um, your essay has the wonderful title. Um, so, all of the essays, what's wonderful about them is they all speak to different experiences. And some of them, I know every reader will find different ones challenging and different ones that resonate. Um, and and Tulia's is, um, as they all are, absolutely wonderful. And it's got an maybe my favorite of all the titles so in the under being poor and dreaming the end of capitalism it sounds kind of like a Vanda Hedzog movie or something (laughs) (laughs) Um, so of whom I am a fan so Tulia what is the under for those of me those who like me haven't read the chimes and um, sure I took the 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 title um, in the under from a phrase that Anna Smale uses in the chimes and the chimes was that amazing um, kind of uh, science fiction um, uh, set in kind of uh, uh, kind of an, a reimagined dystopian London um, that Anna Smale wrote a few years ago and it's about a kind of music based social order and there's this this group of misfits that are um, that are searching for pieces like remnants of what they call it the lady, which is this kind of silver metal um, kind of in these in these massive sewers. And when they go down to look for pieces of the lady, they're in the under. And um, and it's an incredibly evocative book. And um, and when I read it, that phrase of being in the under really really stuck with me. And so I kind of wanted to use it as an extended metaphor in this piece of writing to kind of look at what it means to be in the under in the sense of not being able to pay your rent or not being being you know being in the red basically. Um, and what happens when that's a kind of ongoing experience for you. And so. Um, yeah, and, that's, and so that's what I, that was my starting point, really. Mm. Um, you know, in Italian, they actually say I'm under. For when we say in the red, they just say I'm under. Mm. So it's interesting. Um, so the, um, the, the essay mixes um, personal, very, very personal observations and almost like a sort of a diary, a slice of life of where you are at the moment you're writing the essay with... Um, with references to trauma and and what it's like to be living with trauma and I know that's possibly the hardest thing to write about is um, you know when I just was came out of the Writers Festival and I saw Alexander Chi did either of you go to that um, 
so he's, you know, he's written an autobiographical novel about his experience with sexual abuse. And he was asked by the woman sitting next to me for advice on overcoming the difficulties of writing about trauma and how, how difficult it was for her. And um, to his credit, he took a lot of time and he suggested... The first suggestion was write it first just for yourself. Don't write it for publication mm. because if you sit down and think you're writing it for publication, you'll never get there. Um, but your writing in that essay was so personal and in some ways raw that I felt maybe I'm seeing the, <laughs> this first version, which was not for publication. Um, so and, and then there's the political aspect, which does, however, is more of a manifesto is more public so did you feel from the start you were going to include these two levels was that something that was important to you or do you not maybe even see them as levels maybe they're tied yeah i I guess i think um like uh the the wonderful thing about essay writing and about creative nonfiction, and 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 i'm going to talk about as essay writing really um is that there's this there's been this tradition of combining um, very stripped back personal writing with kind of political political calls to, calls to action and to consider the kind of political or, or literary or whatever alongside kind of personal emotion and so um, <clears throat> the writers that I think of are kind of like you know the most amazing writers in that field um, you know have have done that like just uh, yeah, and so, and so I kind of, in the sense, I felt emboldened by the form to to think about when was I actually putting myself on the line, and when was I kind of writing into discomfort? Um, uh, yeah, because I think that's where um, the magic happens. Of um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It reminds me. So, have you have you read Taniji Coates? The American writer writes not about race, about the problems Americans still have with race and, and going back, confronts Americans with this. And he is a lot of that, the personal and the political. I think it was the first time that I'd come across something so mixed. But, um, yeah, you, yeah. It's, it's also the I feel like the political part of it um, provides a going forward in a way that the it wouldn't without it. It's something that carries the sort of really... Janet, you've got something. I can see you're smiling and nodding. What I I really love about Tulia's piece is um, she's got these perfect little scenes that are very immediate. They have this immediacy. And they're not scenes illustrating her political points. Uh, Instead, it's it's almost like her political points are are growing out of her experience. And so you can see that connection um, really, really well. And she's using, you know, um, there's a scene where she's she's walking in the park with her dog. And she's she's reflecting as she's... in that particular scene, on 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 the politics of what she's doing, um, and in ways that she, it could be extrapolated to other people, or you know what's what's just closer to home. So it's, it's really like as as you as you suggested, are they two layers, or is it is it just life? We we embed them together in life. Yeah, yeah. in fact, absolutely. The um, the fact that the political viewpoint is anti neoliberalism, I think I can say that without ruining the read for anybody, um, is is just speaks to. Of course, if this is the situation you're in, how can you be it's like that thing that just came out about oh no what didn't just came out I just read it recently um, it was you who wrote it about the Auckland Museum manifesto after Christchurch you know the world is full of good but we just need to, to recognize it do you remember that 
Um, uh, oh, it was after. Um, it was actually after a terror attack um, in, in in Europe. Oh, so, sorry, uh, I thought it was quite. No, but I yeah, no, terror no, and, and, and they came back with something like, um, uh, "If if we don't flinch, then terror doesn't win." Yeah, and it's good kind of will like, win. Good, good will win if we yeah. don't flinch. And I and I was like, "Well, tell that." I mean, what does the Holocaust look like in, yeah. in, in that case? You can't say that. You, yeah. we, we would we would like to think that, but yeah. sometimes the baddies do <laughs> do win. You know. Yeah. Well, you had yeah, Anne, right. Anne, Anne Frank. Did she flinch? Was that the problem? But also, I really appreciate it. It was like, look around the world, the way we're living in today. Can we really say that good is one? I think it's a battle that's ongoing every day. So, um, yeah, so it was very, very well. Um, I really bought into that. And this morning, I got up and read in The Guardian, which is probably the maximum of this. Or was it in The New York Times? The two apps I have on my phone. About um, a new summer camp for children, which um, teaches them to become young entrepreneurs instead of just going out and boating and mm. playing. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, oh. and I think this is another thing that Tulia really does in her essay, which is not just how do we survive in a system which doesn't work for everybody, for, all, for, 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 for a lot of us. It's also... How do we survive in a way that doesn't embed that system? You know, it's not about having resilience within the system. It's about having resilience for the revolution. Yeah. Or or, or starting that revolution. Yeah. Working communally or or enjoying the public parks, you know, rather than, than trying to be the entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah. I feel like we're talking. <laughs> Here's the author right uh, here. But we're so this is no support. I'm, I'm saying yeah, yeah, yeah. What I was thinking actually was just to jump back about your point about writing about trauma, and I can remember hearing Adam Johnson speak a few years ago at Auckland Writers Fest um, about um, trauma narratives, and um, he he kind of said that with um, with our normal narrative structure you have character kind of movement and progression over a piece of writing. and I mean, that's just kind of the norm. Um, but for people living with trauma, you might not have that forward progression and you might have think, you know, things happening over and over again and that's quite true to the experience of, of PTSD. Um, and so what I was kind of thinking about when I was writing about my the piece was how did I how did I write the experiences I was having without necessarily carrying um, those autobiographical moments through to a resolve that would kind of let the reader off the hook. So I, I talk about um, not being able to pay my rent, um, and I talk about going to my doctor, and I talk those kind of moments. And I don't take you through to the end of the story of the rent gets paid or whatever because I'm deliberately um, staying in the under because I'm kind of going, this is what this experience is like. And actually, it's a kind of a repeated experience. You know, it doesn't manifest in exactly the same ways, but but that's what it is. And I think that's what I was um, trying to do. I, wasn't, I was trying to... Um, not let us off the hook with the kind of the, that kind of narrative convention. With like, no resolution. With yeah. Sort of the, brings the facile. Yeah, which is yeah. the thing Dario Fo does, uh, you know, the, the Italian anarchist playwright. It's, it's not happy endings because, hello, you, you know, the audience has to go away and think that things need to change. So, yeah. yeah, which is the exact opposite from uh, what I learned. We were talking once on this show about the tendency of Hollywood to make books that don't have a happy ending have a happy ending in the movie version. Mm. And apparently the reason is that the studios um, have a politics which says that if people get hit with a 
not not happy ending as they leave the theater it makes them when they go home and go out to their next social occasions not tell people to go see the movie they don't spread the word because it left them mm. with that feeling that they don't yeah um and so because it's so important to spread the word everyone get out the movie that's why they've always got an uplifting ending in the movie mm. but this is you know writing is the one thing that i think it's is left that is a direct testimony well speaking orating you know especially in um, civic cultures probably so um it's just so what i appreciated about this was the directness of me to you it's not um it's not it's that thing when they tell you in public speaking to look for one person in the audience and i i think every reader thinks were you aware of that when you were writing about um who might be reading this are you able to keep that out of your mind and just tell your truth oh i don't know i mean it's um the writing is such a strange process anyway like you don't necessarily um you don't necessarily imagine it being read or i don't know i mean i guess i kind of did to a certain extent um yeah uh, yeah it, i mean it's 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 a, such a funny process in a way like it's yeah um yeah you do have a beautiful part uh well uh, it's, uh, I'm saying beautiful just in the sense it's actually more lyrical than some other parts. Um, the ending really blew me away because it does have, although it's not the happy ending that we think of as a Hollywood happy ending, it manages to do that, what William Faulkner called, you know, the whistle. It's dark, but we're whistling, <laughs> whistling mm. in the dark. Um, and I wondered if you could just read those um, last two paragraphs. Sure. They're so beautiful. Sure. Okay. uh, Feminist science fiction writer Ursula Le Guin gave a speech at the National Book Awards in 2014 where she said, We live in capitalism. Its power seemed inescapable. So did the divine right of kings. Any human power can be resisted and changed by human beings. Resistance and change often begins in art and very often in our art, the art of words. Resistance begins with words, but also with brown teapots and caring and places to imagine the end of capitalism, to imagine the end of the under. Uh, so for those of you who can't see us, <laughs> Jen and I are moved. Uh, that's lovely. Uh, thank you, Tulia. Um, so just being fair to the people who could not make it today, I wonder if we could look at some of the other... Um, pieces in the book, should we? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm here with this blissful <laughs> smile on my face. Um, blissful, uh, that was the yeah, word, yes. Yeah, just, just um, lo- loving this idea, lo- loving that call to, <laughs> to arms, to pens going, uh, what, the, the ideas are really, really important and, and writing is ex- extremely important. We're part of this discourse of ideas and there's, there's some, you know, some quite um, uh, important and intense discussions, potentially even arguments going on at the moment, and that's why these types of words are, are important. Um, I would say, you know, for anybody going, oh, it's, it's, not, it's not the same as you know going out and saving the world. Well, you know, the, 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 there needs to be um, uh, uh, reasons to save the world, and, and that's what our ideas give. You yeah. took the words from my mouth exactly. <laughs> Someone has to tell you why. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and so um, so from uh, uh, um, that. 
that that introduction. I was going to start with our my our beautiful kind of dessert humour at the end, but I might I might start at the beginning, <laughs> which is Zeming's piece um, called "After a Long Silence," which is, is takes the form of a letter that she's written to a friend in um, Xinjiang, um, where there is currently, um, although Zeming doesn't call it this, a genocide happening um, um, uh, uh, because of the Chinese government. I remember, so she went there, I remember roaming all around the edge of the Taklamakan, leaving the Han Circle with ease with the help of that Palestine t-shirt. Kids would run up to me exclaiming, Palestine, Palestine, guys on motorbikes buzzing past, calling Palestine, grins a mile wide, automatic trust and joy. For the purposes of impressing the locals even more, our mutual friend was going to lend me a t-shirt that bore the Turkish flag, the red twin of your band, Sky Blue Version. But he loved it so much that he changed his mind because he didn't want to get it dirty. Once we were getting dumplings and he took it off and ate topless in the cafe so it wouldn't get splashed. You get attached to simple items that take you places. This is also how I'd describe feeling about a passport that offers real protection, something you will have never truly owned. So um, it's an interesting... uh, uh, connection between New Zealand and and a place of, of remote China, the, the, you know where where this is happening, where the, the Muslims there. Sorry, you said too no. remote. <laughs> no, no, too remote. So I was loving that. That was why I was smiling. Yeah, I was just remembering at the another thing at the Writers Festival with um when the wonderful man who wrote the book about the birds of New Zealand and he was describing New Zealand as a piece of flypaper for these birds that were flying over from Australia <laughs> during you know millions of years ago. And um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yes. Remote, too remote. Too remote, but the the connection between them. Um, And then um, uh, Tui Gordon's piece is called um, A Bed of Volcanoes. Um, And what I love is she she mixes this humour, as as all the writers do, with um, some, some quite deep um, themes. So she's, she's, she says, I have always believed that sex is revolutionary in itself, like dancing. It's free and fun and an incredible space that humans can go to together to connect and enjoy each other physically, deeply, playfully, with urgency, with gentleness. However, my sex-positive stance has crumbled a little since being the ally and lover of someone who was sexually abused as a child. Um, and then she goes on to talk about that a bit. But I also wanted to say... Um, her bit where she goes, the word lesbian beautifully illustrates the cognitive dissonance of our times as it simultaneously defines two very antithetical things, a porn category and a pair of short-haired older women in matching anoraks and sensible sandals. Um, straddling both comes comfortably is the lucky position, position of the Gen Xer, third waiver, queer post-structuralist, born as the 70s hit the 80s. I am in the enviable place of being able to love and appreciate the separatist dyke concurrently with loving the non-binary pansexual and know that what seem like diametrically opposed ideologies are actually just different coping mechanisms for being out of whack with the stringent gender rules of a heteronormative, misogynistic, capitalist society. So that's Tui Gordon. Well said, Tui, yeah. Yeah, that was a, a challenging one for me because she, um, I was put in the category of the older, <laughs> the older feminists that were not, you know, that she did not relate to necessarily, as I do not always relate to younger feminists, you know, the newer wave of feminism. And so it was really interesting because um, I actually do, and she actually does, but it's Absolutely. interesting the process that you go through to get there. Yeah, and I think yeah. she's got a really great grasp of feminist history, and she's yeah. talking about the different waves and how we can characterize them and how they all work and interact and potentially. Yeah. you know have, have differences of opinion yeah I didn't feel misrepresented I felt like oh, this is really interesting to see how I and my generation represents to Tui it was um, yeah a lovely it was a generous it's a generous piece of writing mm. as they all are in the book mm. Mm. Um, and then um, 
Uh, Courtney, uh, Courtney Cena Meredith, um, 107 years her piece is, is called, um, about her, her endometriosis. And she's like, um, uh, my pain was not a shock to my aunties, though I'd never expressed just how bad it got at times. To be honest, it was my preference not to talk about the thing that was wrong with me. I was much more interested in fulfilling the prophecy of my great-grandparents who migrated from Samoa to embody Pa's vision of prosperity and success. I had two kinds of days throughout my teens and my twenties, days with skin and days without. In many ways, the emotional toll was always worse than the physical experience. The energy it took to keep myself from falling into depression was a battle I didn't always win. To carry this pain was to be alive. To endure this pain was to be a woman of my family. So much there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so hard to believe if you know Courtney or if you've ever seen her perform her poetry. That was a real eye-opener to me. Um, yeah, that intensity is there, but the intensity has so many more layers than you realize. Exactly. Yeah. She's got this really energetic, joyful uh, presence and persona. Um, and then underneath all this, you know, she's deal- dealing with difficult things. And then also for her to relate that to her family, because a lot of the women in her family also have this. And to say that's identifying it as part of the family is, is you know, brings out different layers as well. Mm. And then, and finally, we've got um, December Smells Like Hairspray, which is Ruth, La- Ruth Larson's kind of jewel of, of a piece about... Um, um, taking her, her, her children to a lot of um, extracurricular activities and having anxiety about that. So she says, We, the parents, sit in the back of cold old halls, snatching conversation in between dispensing water bottles and administering, admonishing silliness. Imogen's mother on a Tuesday, Finn's dad on a Wednesday. Our conversation and currency is variations of how busy we are, who has back-to-back activities, who has yet another event to get to when this winds up. And just as I nod, knowingly, laughing and lamenting at the busyness of it all, it's nuts, we say. It's crazy. I am mentally calculating, adding up the units of extracurricular advancement to make sure mine stack up. (laughs) (laughs) She's so um, self-deprecating in her humor. Yeah, it's it's timely too with this um, recent scandal uh, that's come out in America with the college admissions. Because that, you know, at the end, that fear of missing out—that's what that leads to. So I was very proud of myself that I caught what fear of missing out right there. Is this going to be one of those acronyms that I? Oh yes, yes, fear of missing out. Yeah, yeah. So I was very proud of myself. Um, so, um, Janet, did you were you not tempted to write a piece yourself for this book? Uh, I, I wasn't. Um, it, it, it would have felt because I was I was you know um, financially backing this that I was putting myself in with all these amazing writers as kind of a vanity project. So I was I was really um, clear that I wanted to do uh, homage to these writers and I wanted to share their work with lots of other people. So I really do hope that people go in and, and find this um, this book because it's uh, they they get my invisible antennae purring so so it was about the the joy of sharing other people really yeah how long did it take to get this from start from conception to finish was it soon after your mother died that you had the idea um it was after we sold her house right oh <laughs> so i've we, just done that in my family i know what that it yeah, means something so it was the middle of last year and so um i first um asked asked the writers and and um it was it was i mean to be to be to disclose uh, to show how much of uh, a Fano project this was, um, Sal- Beatnik Publishing is actually um, directed by Sally Gray, who's my cousin. Oh. So, um, so she didn't have a choice. She, she, had, she had to do this when I said I'm, I'm going to do this, and she was very, very keen and delighted to do that, and also to be part of it in yeah. terms of um, designing a book that was um, that would pay homage to these writers. Yeah, they did um, Courtney Meredith's wonderful book, The Brown Girls in Bright Red Lipstick, which is another beautifully turned out. Um, yeah, and also a tale of the Tanifa uh, yeah. Courtney's um, book of short stories as yeah. well. Mm. Yeah. Um, so I um, 
Let me just think what else, because I've, I've got a message for you at the end, but was I, did I have other things? I think I wanted to ask about um, the, you know, looking at um, the, the manifesto side of the book. Um, do you, how can we get this book more widely read? <laughs> I just felt like I was seeing such important truths. Can we... Um, or can we all, can we, can you write more? Can you turn this into a, um, a, what do they call it? A series so that it becomes, you know, everyone's looking forward to the next volume. Um, uh, uh, well, I see this as a standalone piece. I see it as, as very much about, about these writers and getting and, 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 and not, not seeing it as, oh, you know, this is, you know, there's, there's, I mean, there are lots of writers out there, but this was about these particular five writers. Um, in terms of the things, I mean, um, buy it and give it to your friends. Yeah. Um, Photocopy it. Nobody's going to come after you. I know it says copyright, but, you know, we, we really just want those words out there. Yeah. Yeah. Tell people to listen to this podcast. Yeah. Yes. The library. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, yeah, I remember as Tuli, I go back to a, a long ago Pacifica Poetry, Pacifica Writing event in the library. Mm-hmm. Um, it's good to get that library thing in. So, um, Janet, so my message to you was, I when I was reading this book, I realized it's been 10 years since my mother died. And I was surprised. I went, oh my God, 10 years. That's right, 2019. It seems like it just happened. And I've got this sort of Orpheus and Eurydice myth happening where I keep seeing my mother and then I'm going to call her up or do something and then I, oh, poof, she disappears and she's gone. And what I wanted to say was, I hope, I'm sure that happens to you. And if it does, I hope that when you see your mother, you see her with this book in her hands oh kia ora thank you (laughs) so that's unfortunately all we've got time for but thank you so much both of you for coming in and tell everyone to listen to the podcast listeners and go out and get this book from all good bookstores and from the library kia ora beatnik publishing online (laughs) (laughs) it's great kia ora was brought to you by Auckland Libraries. Find us online at aucklandlibraries.govt.nz and catch the program next Sunday at 9.35pm on 104.6 FM or anytime online at planetaudio.org.nz slash books and beyond. Every day, every day, every day, every day.